this does happen to others. You know, I've, I've seen so many stories and I'm just really, really thankful that I still have my dad here. Hey everyone, I'm Sina Hagiha and welcome to First Serve. The path to live a fulfilled and abundant life is to learn, grow and serve. And that is what this podcast is all about. We'll have guests on the show who are utilizing their skills to make a positive impact to our world. Together we can gain a lot of insights, expand our knowledge and apply our learnings to serve others to the best of our abilities. In this episode, we're going to talk about a topic that is most likely to impact all of us in some shape or form within our lifetimes. And that topic is our mental health. Stats from the World Health Organization state that more than 264 million people globally suffer from depression and that there are around 800,000 suicide-related deaths each year, which usually stems from depression. The numbers are heartbreaking and we all need to play a role in supporting each other and spreading positivity. I want to dedicate this episode to World Mental Health Day, which takes place on the 10th of October each year, so we can do our bit to raise awareness with regards to mental health issues. Your mental health can severely impact your quality of life and the stigma around it can leave people isolated and ashamed to talk about it. We need to create a safe space to have these open conversations and in this episode we're going to do exactly just that with our guest. Our guest today is a woman in tech from Wales and is currently leading global data operations at Dyson. She is extremely passionate about making a positive impact to the world through positive mental health but she's not here to talk about her career although I'm sure we can do that on another episode. She is here to share with us her insightful journey with regard to her dad's mental health over the past year. It's my pleasure to welcome to the show, Jessica Dowdle. Hey, Sina. Thank you so much for inviting me onto this podcast today. This is such an important topic that I'm incredibly passionate about. So it's great to get this out in the open as, firstly, I don't think a lot of of people don't know what's been going on. and, And secondly, some of my experiences, you know, might resonate with them. And it's, it's just great to, to kind of get it out in the open. Yeah, absolutely. I think your story is truly aligned to the purpose of this podcast to really be of service to others. But before we dive into the story on how we can be a positive mechanism to others, can I ask you what gives you the courage to talk about mental health today on this podcast? It's such a great question. I don't know really it's it's one of those weird things I just feel like I've always been that one of those type of people who loves to nurture others I always want the best for others and it's so incredibly important to give back to those who need it and who are less fortunate I think it probably stems back from when my parents got divorced when they got divorced my you know my mum and dad struggled with money their mental health and various other aspects at the time and I was quite young I was I think I was about age age about 12 and I feel like myself and my brother actually had no choice but to to grow up at that point because I remember you know I remember seeing my parents really upset a lot of the time uh, especially my mum and she was 
uh, struggling with an underactive thyroid, which she didn't know about at the point at that point. And I don't know, I just think it's the whole stress of a divorce, the loneliness. And anyway, I, I used to see her coming home so sad and so tired all the time. So I, I just used to observe her cooking and ask her questions about how things are made and so that I could actually then start cooking dinner so that rather than her getting home and it be another thing on her plate to do, she wouldn't have to worry about cooking for me and my brother. I always, you know, used to feel guilty about asking my parents for money. So actually I went to, to work for uh, at the age of about 15. You know, when your parents have just divorced and they've had to pay all the bills they've had to pay, move house, you, you know, you don't want to be asking them for money every weekend to go to Starbucks with all your friends. That's what we used to do in those days. Uh, go to Starbucks and walk through the town centre and uh, go out in the evenings. But I ended up scrubbing pots in a kitchen to, to make some money so I wouldn't have to ask. Just those kind of things. There's just something in, inside me that has, gives me the energy and I have the innate desire to, to nurture others. And um, you know, that's with my friends. I'm always the mum of the group. But I think it's been a mixture of my personality and various life events that's, that's made me the person I am today. Yeah, that's amazing that from a very young age, you have demonstrated that service mindset and altruistic behaviours. Because I think it's rare at that age to have that level of awareness but you mentioned it's a mixture of your personality and life events Mm, that make you who you are today but can you elaborate on some of those life events so obviously this podcast isn't about me but of course you know I think various different life events that's changed my mindset obviously my parents divorce I I've really fell into um depression in university um, and I started having panic attacks actually in some of my final exams turbulent relationships struggling with money and just having this constant feeling of inadequacy no direction and and my self-worth was pretty much in the bin and it went on for years and it was this kind of iterative cycle of not knowing my direction and then one day it was one of the various life events and, and something just clicked. And I was like, what on earth are you doing, Jessica? You're fantastic. You're smart. Uh, and you can do anything your mind you put your mind to. And I basically said to myself, get off your ass and go and make a change. It was a lot of motivation through, you know, my work and all the things I was doing at the time. Yeah, I think those challenges and obstacles you face in your life do make you stronger. It does define who you are we always think our future will define our success but it's actually our past and our learnings and that's how we really grow completely agree with that absolutely so we've talked a little bit about you and your background but how can we be a positive mechanism to others in this modern day world so of course I'm not here today to talk about my own mental health I actually want to talk about something we don't often talk about because it's a bit of a taboo topic really I feel like sometimes when you tell a friend a family member or even a, an acquaintance that you've got or had depression anxiety or any mental health problem you don't quite understand it or like feel if they don't understand it you kind of feel guilty and there are people out there who feel helpless and they don't know how to help their friends and because society has made us believe that someone with mental health issue 
may needly, immediately need to go to a doctor or go on medication. And, and from my experience, yeah, that was the case. But actually, through some things that have happened with my dad, I wanted to kind of shine some light on, on how we can help others who are, who are kind of suffering with mental health and think about a different type of framework that you can use to help other people, you know, just experience these, these, these kind of symptoms. So I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be very frank. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a physician. I'm not a clinical psychologist for like cognitive behavioral therapy on people. I'm not at all. I'm just a normal person just wanting to help others and change their mindset for the better. Yeah, I think this is a difficult topic to talk about, especially with men. I think it's sometimes difficult to put our ego aside and seek for help. And that probably stems down from back in the days when we were cavemen and cave women, where maybe showing those signs of weakness would like put you out of the tribe because it was all about tribes in those days. So if you did, yeah, you had show, to be so manly. Of weakness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I think that's been passed down from those times and we haven't really adapted to it or let go of some of those things that have been passed down that aren't really relevant in today's world the loud culture springs to mind yeah, exactly. it's all about the loud yeah. culture you know you have to be strong you have to be masculine you know you have to go out and be the breadwinner but actually things are changing it's the 21st century and it's not the same anymore people are so much more feminine or it shouldn't be labeled and and that's the fundamental problem is that people label these behaviors you know masculine or feminine and actually it should be a bit more equal yeah and the fact that you mentioned you're not a doctor or a therapist just a normal person i think just gives us confidence that we could all help others in this way too so tell me a little bit more about what happened with your dad so Last year, I think it was about 12, 18 months ago, my, my, my dad was in just a, a really bad place. He uh, broke up with his partner. He came off his medication. You know, he stopped doing the normal sanitary stuff. He wasn't as clean as he usually was. He's, he's had depression for years. And um, he pretty much got to the point where he had no self-worth, no confidence, he even stopped like leaving the house and going, going to the pub or going to do things. And he was just in a really, really bad place. Myself and my brother, we were really worried about him. And to the point where every time we would see him, it was always a worry about something happening and worrying that we weren't going to wake up with the dad anymore. And when, when you see someone in so much pain and just no confidence and you just don't know what to do. And I, 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 was, I remember receiving an email and um, it started with to my darling daughter. And if, if you know me, I'm, I'm a bit of a skim reader. And, um, and I read down and, and all I saw was sometimes I wonder if giving up the depression medication was a good thing. I don't think I was any stronger when I was on it. And he said, I read down a little bit further and it said, I can never thank you enough for what you've done for me. And then it said, my fondest love, dad. 
and I remember I remember reading it and when you when you when you leave your dad's house after he's been crying in your arms because of his depression and his loneliness and no self-worth and he's given up his depression medication and he's unstable I just completely crumbled and he he was suicidal at the time like he told me he was suicidal and I it was almost like a wake-up call because for both of us really because he was at the brink and I was just so anxious about leaving him for five minutes because I wouldn't know what he would do I, I got to the point where I would leave the house and I would text him straight, straight away and I'd be like are you okay like what's wrong like is everything fine? And he'd be like, yes, I'm fine. And if he didn't reply for like an hour, I would start ringing him. And it was almost affecting me as, as much as it was affecting him. But obviously to watch someone in so much pain and, and having kind of the way I am in terms of nurturing others, I was just so worried all the time. Anyway, so that's the situation. And my dad, thankfully, didn't do anything at that point. And, and I'm so, so glad. I'm but but also it's it's a scary thing because this does happen to others you know i've i've seen so many stories and i'm just really really thankful that i still have my dad here but anyway that's the, that's my motivation because you know i nearly lost my dad and at that point we both realized something needed to change i couldn't sit there with all these years experience in trying to change companies and build strategies and try not to help someone who I loved overcome something or a pain point or an illness and it's it's not something I can just cure as I said I'm not a physician or I'm not a doctor whatever but I couldn't just sit there and not do anything so something had to change and I had to start somewhere. I really, really did. So how were you going to bring about that transformational change through the consultancy experience that you have? There was kind of two aspects of something. I've got a very kind of strategic and logical mind around understanding people's problems and trying to create some kind of framework that is manageable to help deliver that. That's what I've been trained to do. That's what I do in work. I do it for different customers. I do it for, and it's it sounds really, I don't, I don't know what the word is. It sounds quite clinical and it's really not, but if you think about it from a, a mental health point of view, if you can, if I, if I can do that, then I can try and create some kind of framework or way of working or next steps to help someone else so that's that was that was basically my 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 thought process is let's 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 have a conversation let's sit down let's try and identify all of the big things that are giving you pain points let's organize them into you know what is the biggest pain point what what keeps you up at night and then understand all of them and address every single one head on and try and find a resolution or step-by-step process in order to try and make things better. Even if it was a really small change, that was an amazing accomplishment in itself. And I know from a mental health point of view, I don't want to talk about strategy and it's it's not a 
really clinical, you know, consultancy thing I want to talk about. It's actually how do you apply a certain amount of skills that I have to a problem which, you know, people around the world suffer with? And I think it kind of came to me um, around, around setting goals. You can talk about selling something to make you happy you know, making money, selling things. Yeah, that will make me happy. But there's always an end point to that goal. Or finding someone because you're living in a finite world with finite goals. And what I mean by that is there's always an end point to your goal. And once you've hit that point, you'll plateau. And Simon Sinek, I'm really, really big fan, talks about how the goal is not to win, but to keep playing. So once you reach that goal, you'll hit a point, you'll have no further direction. As I said, you'll plateau, you'll crash. But actually, you want a goal that is constantly going to evolve, but is never ending. Mm -hmm. You want to constantly make yourself better. You want to constantly work on yourself. You know what? You constantly want to improve your mental health. So by setting, you know, setting ambitious goals is, is really good. But actually, I think with this kind of illness it's all about creating a really great plan with really small incremental steps which can make a large impact quickly with your confidence over a long time but it's not an end goal it's a constantly evolving constantly Mm -hmm. changing end goal so it's all about that kind of infinite game rather than it be a finite world with finite goals. It really, really is. You need to set something which is going to be ever changing, ever evolving so that it becomes your normal to constantly evolve and it builds your confidence. So, so, so yeah, that's the kind of where I bring the skills and, and how I think about problems and where I started really. What you mentioned around having infinite goals rather than finite goals is really important. And it's the shift in mindset really that focuses on the process and habits that you can build to create infinite goals that are sustainable and continuously evolving instead of being small-minded and only looking for those quick wins, which is a temporary fix, but does not set us up for success down the line. I'm really impressed with some of the skills you have applied as well. I'm not trying to compare the corporate world to the health world, but the fact that you have some skills that are transferable in terms of some of those consultancy skills where you want to find out the user or customer's requirements or needs, explore their pain points, perform some root cause analysis to understand where the underlying problem is, and then defining a strategy with solutions, I think. In that sense, a lot of those skills can be of huge help to anyone in those situations. Yeah. And I'd just like to add on that one, you don't need to be a consultant to be able to help others. And that's something that's really important. You know, I just have a a set of skills, but actually to be able to, to identify a problem and try and think of ways to solve that problem, anyone can do. Just comes down to listening, I guess. Yeah. Right. Be a good listener. (laughs) yeah so tell me a bit more about your dad so 
it's all rooted through childhood. And a lot of the things through psychology and all these different theories are always rooted through childhood. When he was growing up, you know, I remember him saying that his, his mum told him that he, she didn't want him. And he, my dad works in the plumbing industry and um, he all he would want was gratification. But because of this kind of lad culture and all this masculinity around not being able to show your feelings or things like that, his dad also didn't ever give him any gratification or love and affection. So I think growing up, I think my dad always craved that love and affection. And when he didn't get that back, that almost spiraled into his depression and anxiety or stress. And, um, and I think growing up, like all of those different events almost got too much for him. And, um, you know, he's, he's had depression for years, but I think pivotal events, you know, through the divorce and quite recently when he, when he broke up with a partner, those are pivotal events which have, have really impacted him. And I think one of the key things that he struggles with is loneliness. And it's really sad and, and you don't really know what to say because you can't force someone to meet someone straight away. And it's just, it's just not something that you can do. But I think that's where a lot of his, his depression came from. So, yeah. And are those things that you discovered through this process or were these things that you knew beforehand? Do you know what? I think before, when I was growing up, I already knew, I always knew that he had depression and I knew that he was actually on medication for, for quite some years when I was growing up. But actually, it was only... But in terms of his story and how it evolved over time? I think the closer I got to, to my dad, which was actually, it was about five to seven years ago, I got really close with my dad and we were like renovating... Um, we were renovating a house together and um, it was like daddy daughter. We were literally stripping, sanding walls. Um, I was learning all of these things. I got really close to my dad and I would just, I'm, I'm just quite a curious person. I always listen and I just started asking questions. And yeah. it was only over the last kind of five to seven years, I'd say it got really bad. And I just, I started to realize and he started to talk, you know, bearing in mind, I would have to really probe for, for some of the information and it would be, I would go around his house and he hmm. would just be in this pit of self-destruct and I would sit there at dinner and, and I was like, oh my gosh, I, it was almost like <laughs> taking the energy out of me. I'm quite a, you know, very high energy person. And he just had no, no positive energy. In and I was like trying to pump it out of him. And it was just not, there was nothing. There was nothing at that point. And yeah, so I think the, over the last couple of years, I've really, really understood him as a person and understood his background, his childhood. And I've wanted to, to understand why he feels like the way he does. For example, he really, when we, when we asked him various different questions um, about, you know, what has caused all of this, it was very much like, oh, well, I'm, I, I don't have anyone. I'm lonely. Uh, another thing was I have so much clutter in my life. Another thing was 
I don't know, just all of these different things. I have, I have these, I have diabetes. And all of these things he was talking about was just put spiraling him out of control. And then he would, like I'd, like I'd said earlier, like I'd go around his house and he would, he would be in a pit of despair. He would be crying in my arms and you, you don't know, you don't know how to handle that. So that's the point where we got to before we had to really, you know, make a change after we got that letter and he was talking about like the suicidal and, and stuff like that. So that's the point where we got to, but there's various different factors over his, over his life, which had influenced that. So how did you go about fostering change? Because we as human beings don't like change. So what did you do in order to get that change to take place? You're so right. We are literally creatures of habit. I, for one, love getting up in the morning and going and having a coffee and having a shower and getting ready and putting on my favorite music and doing the same things over again. But as well as that, I think people don't like change and being self-aware. But actually, to be able to foster change, one of the things I always advocate is positive energy. I think positive energy is infectious. Not everyone is going to be like me or have that energy, but if you have people around you, I feel like it's almost having a radiator. You go and sit by a radiator and it warms you up. <laughs> and and you and you and you're like, "Oh wow, I feel quite warm in this room. It makes me feel better." Rather than being a vampire, which is just sucking the blood out of you and leaving you lifeless, I think positive energy is infectious. And I think being able to foster change is is really being able to exert positive energy um, to, to bring someone up, being able to understand people listening and also being able to just get up and go, make a difference, try something, fail try again, try everything you can to try and foster change. But one of the big things I would say is you can't force someone to change. You just can't do it. You can influence the change. But in order to for someone to really, really change, they have to believe in themselves. They have to believe in the goal or ambition or themselves that they can go and do whatever they want to do or if they want to improve themselves, it has to be a, out of their own accord. That's something I learned actually really, really early on is my dad didn't want to change at the start. And I was trying to get him to do all of these different things. And he was really resistant to change. Yeah. Like I said, we're creatures of habit. We like to do the same things over and over again. And when something is abnormal to us, we shy away from it. So, yeah, that's just something... Yeah, I'd like to kind of point out it's, it's it's not an easy task, but you have to be that mechanism of change. Well, I think what also helps in these situations is to make small tweaks rather than making drastic changes, just to highlight the benefits of adopting some of those habits. And once you start seeing a difference, then you can incrementally make bigger changes or change your habits even further to head in the right direction so i think making it digestible actions that you can easily implement really helps is that something that you applied with your dad 
Absolutely. I think um, I, I couldn't boil the ocean. You can't, a guy who's 60 years old, you can't turn around to him and say, right, I've got this strategy here. Here we go. Let's execute it. Because they're not going to do anything with it. They're going to sit there, read it, throw it in the bin. And my dad doesn't even like reading. So, <laughs> so, so I was pretty much barking at the wrong tree. I know that my dad is very much like myself, a very kinesthetic learner. So I had to draw everything out for him. I had to show him all of it, all of the things. Well, he actually um, did it with myself. And we, we drew out all of the different things um, that was causing him pain in his life that was causing his depression some of these things being you know um i have no confidence i have all this clutter in my life i talked about this earlier you know i've got ailments with my health because he's got diabetes and he's got um, a heart condition all of these different things you know he hasn't got any friends and he hasn't got a partner all of these different things that they were his main major pain points in his life and one of the biggest things actually which myself and my brother didn't really, <laughs> we couldn't believe, was one of his top priorities and one of the biggest things that was impacting his mental health was technology. My brother and myself are both technology consultants, so we were almost in shock, but actually also very empathetic of the point that we've grown up in a society where we were born into computers. We were born into those big Macintoshes and all of these computers when we were growing up. I mean, I remember being in in uh, primary school with a computer, learning how to use Word or all of these programs. So to not have that education where you learn about computers or technology and having to uh, to adjust and adapt to an ever changing world, it is difficult. So all of these different things that were causing his mental health, we drew out on a page. And we said, right, let's now take those and let's put those into order of which ones that you think are the most detrimental to your health and which ones would you like to get solved quickest. We then actually took those and we plotted those in terms of the priority order. We then plotted those on a timeline. Now, I didn't want to put it over five years because five years um, is, is a very in my mind, um, I, I try to work in an agile world, which is very kind of fast, iterative, manageable. And I didn't want it to be, let's do everything at once, like a waterfall approach and boil the ocean and scare someone off and, and make it unmanageable. So I wanted to, to make a, something which is, isn't frightening. It's small, but the small incremental changes are going to make a massive impact to his life. And that's what we said to him. We said, look, dad, the end goal for us is for you to start believing in yourself, for you to exert that kind of confidence and those feelings and get to the point where you can help others and you feel confident to be in, like there on your own. You feel confident in, in your own ability and have that space space feel safe to have those conversations around mental health as well so that's kind of what we did um and we planned them out on um you know on, on a timeline we looked at you know at that time he was he was looking to retire so we also had to factor in his finances what other things that he can do 
so so that's the kind of things that we did and then actually to to execute that there was all these different streams and it sounds <laughs> sounds very consultative at the moment but we we worked on every single thing and we started them at different times and we thought you know it's not the right time for dad to be starting exercise because he needs to do this this and this first or it could be something around dating he wasn't ready to date and it sounds crazy but all of these different things came into into practice when um, when we were thinking about how how to take him forward and try and try and make a difference and if we were going to try and it didn't work we would try again and we would try again but if it then got to the point where he was unwilling and unsatisfied and he would not change himself then what can we do so that's something that we told ourselves we we, we made an assumption we said look if he's not willing to be open to change then we're just we're wasting our time and energy so so yes yeah. so that's kind of the that's the key drivers and, and and everything behind that so how did he react to some of the things that you were suggesting was it all coming from him or was it from yourself and your brother advising him to do certain things yeah was he resistant to that or was he accepting that those would put him in a positive state of mind or was he not buying into it straight away so I didn't want to come in with like a sergeant major attitude like right let's go like let's go I can see the end goal let's go live no not at all that is just not the approach you cannot approach this kind of thing you need to do it in a very very soft way that's what I'd recommend it, it can't be coming in and taking over like a whirlwind it just it will not work. It will scare people off and it will hurt the person you're trying to help. What I would say is, yes, a lot of resistance in every single aspect, but you keep prodding them with the energy stick and they will start, they will start to move. So one of the things we started with actually is um, something that gave him confidence his confidence levels were so low so incredibly low so we were trying to find different hobbies and things that he can do that can build his confidence his skills are in the plumbing trade and he would follow instructions of how to install things so i'm thinking what other things can you do what what things can you read and then follow a step by step guide in order to build something or make something that can give you confidence. And when my dad first got divorced from my mum, he couldn't cook at all. And now you'll give Gordon Ramsay a, a run for his money. <laughs> <laughs> and he found cooking was one of the, ma- the major things that gave him confidence. Being able to see something in a book and recreate that and taste something and having that gratification and saying you did that and it tastes good well done and just having that kind of that confidence and exerting that and tasting it and you can see it you can see it and you can taste it mm-hmm. um it's something tangible that you can do to, to build your confidence so hobbies is one of the biggest things find something that gives you confidence another thing was it was all about building self-worth and self-love you know he he never made time for himself he worked all of his life he didn't have any self-worth he's still working on it to be honest 
and taking time to go and sit in the garden, go and pamper, pampering himself whenever that may be. I kept telling him, I said, Dad, I do self, self-care Sundays every Sunday, but I actually do that on the weekday as well. So, and I said, look, taking that time to look after yourself really, really does make a difference. It means you're setting aside time to look after yourself. So basically, I, I wasn't going to go and tell him to have a bubble bath every night. But he started to to finish work early and, and just going and sitting in the garden, just going and sitting in the sun, getting fresh air. And it really, really did make a difference. Mindset, I think, it's one of the hardest things when you're coming into this because it's all about mindset. You can do all these crazy, amazing gestures for someone. But as I said, until they change, they really won't. And um, one of the things that um, my dad, as I said, isn't really a, he can't sit there and, and read a book. He gets a bit too antsy. He's a very visual learner. So one of the things he did, he does, he did love doing and still does is, is watching fishing videos. So he loves fishing. Anyway, so he then pivoted on his own accord and started watching videos on self-worth, mental health and things to develop yourself. So finding something that you enjoy or a channel that you use already and using it for a slightly different purpose just to test the waters made a massive difference. Another thing, and this is obviously something that everyone I'd advise to do if you're really like struggling with your mental health is is exercise, um, as as everyone talks about, releasing endorphins, um, but getting outside in the in the open. It's actually proven that it can foster better mental health by nurturing something else into life. So plants, well-being, mm-hmm. and it can help you take care of yourself as well. So exercise and the outdoors and nurturing plants and all of that greenery. But um, actually, my brother and I are lucky enough to, to afford to pay for my dad to go to a nice gym so that he had a hobby as well, adding, adding to his hobbies, take himself outside of his house, give him a safe space to do so, to keep busy, have something to do, have routine and to release those endorphins. So exercise, that was an obviously an amazing thing that he started. He started going to the gym and talking about how he started doing Joe Wicks. He talked to me the one day, I remember receiving a text and it said, Jess, these burpees, I couldn't, I just don't know how people do them. <laughs> I, I got back to the floor and I couldn't get back up. <laughs> I was like, oh yes, dad, that's a burpee. I was just like, carry on trying. And oh, but it was brilliant. Joe Wicks is fantastic. Yeah, so there's all these different things. I think, I think one of the funniest things actually is as a young female, you don't ever think about something, obviously, my dad, my dad's loneliness is something that almost consumes him sometimes. But actually, the one day after he was single, he said to me, he said, Jess, I think I'm ready to go on a dating site. And he'd already set up a profile. And when I did my analysis, my my um, my thorough analysis, I had to vet. <laughs> and after a guy hasn't been really on the market properly for about 30, 40 years, you're going to have to intervene and support them in that. And it's not something I ever thought I would do at my age, but I kind of did a flip role reversal with my dad. And when someone hasn't been on the, on the dating scene for that long, 
you kind of go into if anyone's seen that the, the film Hitch, yeah. you kind of <laughs> go into Hitch mode. You've got Albert dancing in front of you with his profile and his pictures. Anyway, so I had to do a bit of pitch work. Redid his profile. So what did that? Yeah. What did that entail? Like swiping? Were you swiping for? Oh, no swiping. No swiping. It was more. <laughs> it, it was more actually um, vetting the the kind of content he was putting out there, and also giving an, an advice actually. People don't meet in the same place, uh, in the same ways as they did before. As a, especially in a global pandemic, you can't just go to a bar and meet someone. It's become more virtual. People don't go in with their whole life story in the first sentence. That's something we had to kind of talk about and shy away from because, you know, talking, going straight in with all of your mental health issues is just sometimes almost detrimental to your own mental health so we had to be really really careful with actually getting him back onto the dating scene because because it's it could be really really great when someone's on a high you've got a date but next thing you know when they're not right for you and they don't want to be with you and they're not replying that can also be really detrimental so dating is actually something that I would really really support and try and help with but also it is a really emotional and can be a very detrimental tool. Um, but also, I think it, it has helped him because if you've got someone next to you supporting you or anyone, whenever we, he would have a bad day, we would have a chat about it. We'd all, we'd always have a, a debrief, a download as such. And we just talked through it. We said, well, what do you think went well? What do you think didn't well? What can you improve for next time? So it's almost like a something goes wrong, you learn from it, you try again, you try again, and then you might find someone. So it's it's a bit of a weird thing helping your dad with dating and giving advice. And I'm, you know, I'm not an expert, but but also it's it's giving someone the confidence, but but remember but, but kind of remembering that it's okay that it's not going to be okay all the time. It's okay to fail and try again. You know there will be light at the end of, end of the tunnel, and you won't be lonely forever. It's only a transitional thing. So it's all been a bit of a crazy year. You know, I I actually um, left my last role. You know, I, I was I was flying around around the world. You know, every week, and it was amazing. And and I remember when I got that letter, I was like, I am going to need to make a change. And if I don't make a change, I may never see my dad again. And that was the fundamentals to it. When there is someone that needs help, you need sometimes you do need to make sacrifices. And it's worth it because I don't regret that that career change. I don't regret, you know, going back to Wales at all. And it was the best thing I ever did because watching my dad change and become a better person and go on this emotional journey and watch someone make a positive impact to their own lives is is incredible and I'm not taking any credit for anything that he's achieved but being there to watch him support him and try to be that catalyst for change it really really does make me so incredibly proud and you know from then when I I read the letter and thinking you know I'm, I might not have a dad right now and then you know, a few weeks ago, actually, I sat down on the sofa and, and he said to me, he said, you know, you just need to think positively. You know, you can't dwell on the past. And 
you need to just look to the future. And I honestly, I'd never, ever, ever heard him say anything like that. And to to hear someone actually try and positively change their own lives after being in such a ditch, it's just amazing to see. You know, there's always going to be ups and downs. And my dad's mental health is still up and down. But to find his coping mechanisms like cooking, like going out in, outside, going and watching YouTube, you know, even learning from dating, finding those coping mechanisms. Um, it's just, it's, it's knowing when to take time out for yourself, knowing when to help others and being able to help others. So I think it just, it goes to show that you can, it doesn't always need to be through going to see a GP and don't get me wrong I actually went on an incredible course it was an NHS mental health course with my dad we did it together and it was a 12-week course and um, and actually understanding depression anxiety and stress and um, it was a it was a joint thing that we did together we did it collaboratively we learned things and sometimes that is a really really great great thing to do sometimes medication is is very much necessary but there are other things that you can do to help others and you can be on that journey with them and also men- just just to, to kind of reiterate but you also have to look after yourself within this if you're not stable yourself and you're trying to help others sometimes it can be very detrimental um, so you just have to be very careful there yeah i think what you've done is truly amazing to see someone that you love transforming that way must be the best feeling ever it really is yeah (laughs) i think your friends and family must be so privileged to have someone like yourself in their lives to know that you'll be there to support them whenever they need you and i think with all these transformations it begins with yourself to be aware of your thoughts and have that self-awareness and a lot of the time those voices that are in our heads are not actually coming from ourselves it's from other places from other people and once you identify that and get closer to your true self you can start to transform and incorporating some of the things you mentioned like exercise nutrition hobbies and relationships makes that journey a lot more satisfying and i think i read somewhere that exercise has even better benefits than neural therapy so Oh, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, so I think it's, it's definitely a thing that all of us should be doing and the benefits are amazing. Oh, thank you. But what I really want to know is like, what has been your biggest learning throughout this journey? One most important thing is unless people want to change, they won't. You can try and influence that, but try try again try harder try a different way try everything you can and if you keep on trying and people still don't want to change then it might get to the point where you're you are wasting your energy so it's just being conscious of that I'm very thankful that my dad did want to change and he did want to make his life better which was which fantastic so the second thing I'd probably say is sometimes we need to take sacrifices in our lives and be selfless and it's important to do that because there are people who are struggling and are less fortunate, but also remembering that not to the, don't be too selfless to the point of your own demise. Like I said, some, well, sometimes I'm 
I struggle with my mental health. And if I had a really, really bad day at work or something's happened in my life, which has been really stressful, and then I speak to my dad and he's having a really down day, it can really impact my own my own energy and my my own mental health. So it, it's just being being kind of conscious and but still being very selfless in the way that you act. And then I think the third thing is probably positive energy. I talk about positive energy all the time. Be a radiator, not a vampire. So positive energy fosters better mental health. Um, so I think changing, you know, unless people want to change, but try as hard as possible, being selfless and being a radiator, not a vampire and bringing that positive energy are probably my biggest learnings throughout the journey. And what advice would you give to to others who are struggling or need a bit of a lift? So I would say talk to people. It's so incredibly important to talk to people. Find a safe space, a safe person. Gravitate towards them, the people that can give you energy. Give you know, go find those radiators and sit next to them. Go and talk to them about things because the more we talk, the easier it becomes. So that's one of my bits of advice. Find your passion. Keep trying things. Failing, it's okay. Um, if something gives you energy, self worth, gratification, just go and do it. Go and enjoy it and build your energy and build your your self worth. Getting outside, I love you. Just getting some fresh air. I love when I'm stressed. I'll go for a really long run, or I'll do this like really intense blaze class, which I'm a bit, bit obsessed with. And I just complete. I'm on a boxing bag, and I'm just completely boxing out all of my feelings and just completely different. I'm just a bit of an animal, really. But um, but getting outside, getting some exercise, releasing those endorphins, nurturing something else into life. That is something so important. Having plants, having pets, generally caring for, for someone to, you know, to, to look after yourself and look after others. One of the things that I would say is really important, actually, for someone who is suffering with mental health and, and some advice is actually it's really, really daunting to take yourself outside of your comfort zone. And I completely understand that. But if we make small little steps to try and change things, and if you are struggling, and if there's some small little things that you can do, like I said, maybe change what you read, maybe don't use, I don't know, social media for a while, little changes like that or change your diet because it might change the way that you perceive things or the way that you that you, that you actually feel but but making those small changes and taking yourself out of your comfort zone can make a really really large impact and then just doing a bit of self-reflection I think understanding your strategy and understanding yourself you know writing out on a page all of the things that you're worried about and then thinking about okay each one of them let's tackle it one one by one head on rather than just boiling the ocean with all your problems try and split it up into small little chunks that you can deal with separately and yeah and if you've got friends and family that can be there for you that's amazing if you ever need to go if you're really struggling, then please do, you know, go to the doctors, talk to them and, and yeah, and, and 
if you are struggling, there are so many resources out there. Like the NHS course that I went on was amazing. Amazing charities called Mind. They do incredible things. So there's so many things out there that you can do if you're struggling. Uh, Thanks a lot, Jessica. Thanks for sharing your amazing story. I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be inspired by this story. And I think one of the key messages is be a radiator and not a vampire. Absolutely. I completely agree. (laughs) Find your radiator. (laughs) Find the radiator, be a radiator. Be a radiator. Yeah, if you could if you if you're not a radiator, find a radiator. And the longer you sit there, you will then become a radiator. You will heat up so much that you'll become someone else's radiator and it will just become infectious. First of all, I want to applaud Jessica's courage to openly share that personal story about her dad with all of us. It takes a lot to do that. What she demonstrated was pure selfless service where she is looking to help others without the expectation of gaining anything in return. We can all serve others in this way by providing a platform for dialogue, spreading positivity and by being amazing listeners. What this episode today has really highlighted is the importance of self-awareness, building habits rather than making big changes immediately and the need to dedicate time for self-care for our well-being. Martin Seligman, the king of positive psychology, has his five pillars for well-being called the PERMA model. The P is for positive emotions, being optimistic, feeling good and bringing that positive energy. E is for engagement, being in that state of flow, finding the things you're passionate about. R is for relationships, to build those meaningful connections. M is for meaning, to understand your existence and purpose. And A is for accomplishment, which goes back to your goals and achievements. We can all gain awareness of the PERMA model to see which of these five pillars we need to focus on the most. But applying all of them to our daily lives enables us to work towards a fulfilled and meaningful life. In a couple of months, I'll be running a half marathon to raise money for MIND a charity dedicated to supporting those with mental health problems. If you would like to make a donation to help them protect, support and save lives, I will leave a link to my donation page in the show notes and I'll be extremely grateful for any donations made. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit subscribe so you can get a notification when a new episode is released. Also share it with your friends and family or whoever you think would be interested in this episode. I would really appreciate it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcast. If you want to reach out to myself, you can find me on Instagram. I'll leave the info in the show notes and I'll see you all in the next episode.